Christmas, listen, whether it's high-tech or low-tech, how many know the good news is that Jesus Christ came to this earth, come on, to get us out of this mess? And that is good news, however it's communicated. You know, Christmas is a, is a, a time of the year that is celebrated around the world. Christmas is not just an American thing. It's not just a Jerusalem thing. How many know all over the planet, people are realizing that Jesus Christ, Christ is the Messiah, the Savior of the world was born. Our calendar is divided by His birth, B.C., before Christ, A.D., in the year of our Lord. But there's a, there's a, there's a hostility towards this, and it's real sad. And here's why. The name Christmas, Christmas Christ, that's Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah, Mass, Christ Mass, the worship of Christ reminds the world that Jesus is the center of it, and the world is often antagonistic towards that. This word Christmas has traditionally been celebrated not just with Santa and presents, but with a church service, a time to remember the birth of the Savior of the world. And that's why we gather this morning. But yet much of the world is hostile to the message of Christ, hostile to Christmas, and do everything in their power to stop its message. I'll show you a couple pictures. There's been a... a, a kind of a contention around Christmas in Santa Monica, California. For 60 years, they've had these booths, I think like maybe 21 different booths, pictures of the nativity, uh, the birth of Christ, the angels and the shepherds. But several years ago, some atheists thought that they would get in on the deal. Look, pick, pick at this guy. Here's what they did. They had 21 different booths, uh, 60 years, called the city of the nativity. And now uh, you had to, of course, apply for one of the booths, and they've got like 18 atheists to put up their messages in 18 of the booths and three Jesus booths. And then, of course, now it's gone to a judge, and the judge shuts it all down. But I want you to look at this guy. He's in the center here. He's very proud, and I'm sorry the picture's a little, a little bright. It's the best we could do. But his name is Damon Vicks. Damon is like atheists all over America. It's not just a California thing. Uh, and uh, Little Rock, uh, a church, Agape Church, wanted to show a, a Charlie Brown Christmas, make it available for elementary kids, you know, Charlie Brown, Linus, and Snoopy, and all the fun. But atheists said, look, no way, we're not having this in our schools. So they stomped it. Uh, in Montana, they were going to sing Christmas carols in church, just innocent Christmas songs like you sing and I sing and anywhere. But they said, don't you dare do this or we'll sue you. And the reason we're going to sue you is because this is bullying to our children. Think about that now, singing a Christmas song, that it's, it's, it's kind of the code language is it, is it, it's bullying. Someone told me last night, they said, there's no such thing as a dead atheist. You die, you're aware that God is real. Okay, that was my second one. You missed that one too. But I want you to look at this guy just a second before we get into the Bible. Very proud of himself. One side of me is very angry that religious freedom is being so stifled in America when there's so much uh, violence and evil in our world. But another part of me makes me very sad for people that are like that. I'm very sad, and I've been praying a little bit for this guy. His name is Damon, and if you can see his booth, he said, What myths do you see? Far left side, we've got the Greek god Poseidon, the god of the sea. Second picture, we have a picture of Jesus. Thirdly, we've got Santa Claus, and fourthly, we've got the devil in a business suit. So how many know he's got two things right and two things are kind of make-believe? But this idea of a myth, just a little background, how many know a myth is not necessarily not true? When we think of a myth, we think of something that's made up. But a myth is simply a container that ancient civilizations communicated what they knew to those that were coming after them. It could have been written on a cave wall. It could have been shared around campfires. 
I was reading this week about what was called by some the myth of Noah and the ark. But do you realize there are over 500 different people groups around the world that share a common story of the world being destroyed by water? Now think about that. A cataclysmic flood that destroys the world, but yet one family is saved. One of the myths, even perhaps you've read it, it talks about a giant turtle shell, is that they got into this family and saved them. Well, I mean, some of the myths have some extraneous things, but at the core of it, there's some truth. Whether it's Native Americans here in America that have shared the story, people in China, Africa, Asia, they're all recognizing that in the history of man, the earth was destroyed by a great flood, and there was a family that was preserved. You ever wonder when you walk around on a mountaintop somewhere and find seashells? Come on, you know something had to be going on. Well, how many know a myth is a container of truth? This guy thinks it's false, but I've come to declare to you today that the message of Christmas is not something that's made up and false, but the message of Christmas is the greatest news the world has ever heard. And we live in a world that is filled with bad news. Can you imagine what it's like if you're a parent of one of those children in Connecticut, that horrible shooting we had? Uh, and we're still here, so the mind calendar, that was obviously not true. But I mean, no, they had a lot of people scared. The world was supposed to end this week. I mean, no, there's a lot of fear in America over the possible economic collapse that's in front of us. All our politicians are off having fun on vacation now, and supposedly we're all held at bay. The world is filled with bad news, but I've come to declare you today as a Christian pastor from the Word of God that the greatest news the world has ever heard is that God has come to dwell among us in the person of Jesus Christ. That the Christmas story is not just a myth, it's not just a fabricated fable, but it's the story how God cared so much about us and our brokenness in, as humanity that He wanted to come and provide a way out for us. God wanted to provide a way to fix what was broken. And the starting place, well, when Jesus was born in the manger some 2,000 years ago, and as Pastor Mike alluded to, in His 33rd birthday when He gave His life for the sins of the world so that you and I could be restored to God. How many can say there's no better news than that? So this morning, let's look into his story, Matthew chapter 1, and let me read it to you from the uh, low-tech account in Matthew, Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Now let me tell you how marriages were happened, they were, they were arranged marriages in the biblical time. The parents of each of the children would, would help find the mate for their children. Uh, it wouldn't just be like today where you find somebody and you may or may not even tell the parents you might elope. It was not like that. But what would happen is they would begin a year-long betrothal period. Let's say in Mary and Joseph's case, both parents agreed that they would be married. And what would happen is then they would be formally known to the world as husband and wife. Now, they weren't living together. They weren't sharing yet. But yet, they were, for the next year, they would, they would live pure lives. They would demonstrate their commitment. And at the end of the year, what would happen is the husband-to-be would literally form a procession with family and friends, go to the bride's house, and then take her to his home, and they would consummate the marriage, and they would be one. Well, so they're betrothed, and notice, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. The, this immaculate conception where Mary's pregnant and somehow God had, had touched her life. Verse 19, and her husband Joseph, being a just man, and maybe that's the reason God chose Joseph, that he, was, he had this sense of righteousness about his heart, how he treated people. But notice what it says. He was unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Now, in their day, obviously, adultery was the grounds for divorce. 
And even though they weren't living as husband and wife, she's pregnant and he had every right to be rid of her. But listen to this. Not only did he have a right to divorce her, but under the Mosaic law, she could have been brought to the gates and been stoned by the elders of the city. I mean, how many know that's, that's a pretty tough thing? But he didn't do that. He genuinely cared about her. And verse 20, aren't you glad God always shows up at just the right time? You know, God is rarely early. He's never late, but he's always on time. Verse 20 is, Joseph considered these things. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. And the angel said, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She'll bear a son, and you'll call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And verse 22 is my text. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Here again, Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and say this with me, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Say that again. God with us. 700 years, Isaiah made a prediction that was humanly impossible. This man, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, looked ahead into time 700 years away, and he said there's a miracle that's going to happen, and in this miracle, God is going to take on human flesh. Now, I cannot explain this to you. My pea brain can't get around it, but somehow Jesus came as fully God and fully man. He was not a half God, half man, but he was fully God. He was fully man when he came to this planet. But let me be honest with you. I get lost in Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God. See, to me, everything I know and understand is bound by some time-space continuum, but not God. He lives outside of it. Before anything was... And my little brain can't even imagine nothingness because when I try to imagine nothingness, it has some boundary to it. But God was there. So it leaves me from the first verse. So I can't explain to you how God came and inhabited a human body, but He did. He came because we needed a rescue plan that we couldn't rescue ourselves from. The tyranny of sin was so great, we were all imprisoned by our sin. All the evil that you see around us, the final, the final uh, penalty of death, none of us can escape. I don't care how much organic food you eat, how many supplements you take, or how much you exercise. How I many know even Jack LaLanne died a couple years ago? You cannot perpetuate your life. And God looks at our human condition and He sees it and God said, I'm going to provide a solution for them that only I can provide. I'm going to come and I'm going to offer myself, Christ the Son, as a perfect sacrifice to substitute my life for theirs so they don't have to endure the penalty of sin forever. And that's what Jesus Christ came to do and that's what Isaiah was sharing with us and that is good news. Everybody say good news. Well, this phrase, God with us, is what I want to focus on this morning. It's a phrase I want to try to help you get your mind around and what that means. And I'm going to try to present it this morning that, because when we think of our lives, we're thinking from the day of our birth until now, or tomorrow or the next few days or whatever your plans are. If you're a long-term planner, you may be planning a few years down the road. But when you talk about your life, that's what you're thinking. Me, I was born April 24th, 1957. I don't know when my last day is, but I know what my plans are today. I plan after, uh, after church, get a Subway sandwich, drive to Memphis, have dinner at my sister's house tonight, see my family for Christmas, and then head back. That's about as far as I'm looking down the road right now. But I'm going to suggest to you that the Bible talks about five different seasons of your life. That God, even when we talk about God with us, in some fashion, God was with us. He knew about us before we were even born. 
And let me use that as a starting place. Ephesians chapter 1, God was with us. That is, He knew about us before we were born. And I don't say He knew us because you did not exist before you were conceived. There is not an assembly line of babies in heaven waiting for the stork to take you and drop you off. You did not exist. You had a definite beginning upon your conception. That's when life begins and it begins in the womb. But how many know you will never end? Now, your life on earth will end, but God had an eternity past. God is still in control of things during time. Genesis 1 through the end of the book of Revelation. But then eternity picks up again. That again loses me and my pea brain. And it goes forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. But before anything was created, God knew about us. Ephesians 1, 4. Even before He made the world, God loved us. Now think about that. Before the world was created, before the sun, the planets, before the trees, the birds, the flowers, before anything was here, God loved us. He knew about us, which implies that God wants relationship with us. See, Christianity is not just a Bible and a church building. Christianity is a relationship, a real relationship with the living God. And God knew us. Listen to what the Scripture says in a very personal way, Psalm 139. You, God, saw my body as it was formed or formed in my mother's womb, and listen to this, all the days of a plan for me were written in your book before I was one day old. Now think about this. As I've talked to you this morning about God with us, God knew about your life and my life before I was ever born. Now take a peek, I've got a little 4D ultrasound. This is you at eight weeks. Tell your neighbor, I look pretty good there. Eight weeks, ten weeks, twenty-two weeks, there you are there. And that's an up-close shot, twenty-four weeks. Now, eight weeks, that first shot, that's two months old. Lots of people don't even know they're pregnant at two months. When the abortion laws were passed in America, arguably, technology was not refined enough so we knew when life began. that's That's not the question any longer. It's not the question that life is in the womb. It's a different issue now that's at work. Is who gets to decide who lives and who dies. And man is taken into his own grasp, that great decision that belongs to God. Life is sacred in the eyes of God. But the Bible says that if you, if you would imagine that little picture of that little child, if that was you, however many years ago, for me, 55 some years ago, in my mother's womb in a small town in, in, in northern Mississippi, that God knew about my life. See, what is there now? Six or seven billion people on the planet, but every one of us are different. If you look around this room, you cannot find yourself in this room. You are unique. Everybody on this planet has different fingerprints. Come on, if you do a retinal scan, everybody's scan is different. If you look at our DNA code, every bit of it is different. Similar? Absolutely. Similar to monkeys in some cases too, but that doesn't make us monkeys. How many know we have the unique stamp of God? And just because science has been able to understand this, we've allowed it to take, to take the, the majesty of God out of the loop. But I'm telling you, friend, God knew about you. I'm fully convinced part of the reason for the violence in our youth culture today and that life is so minimized is people don't understand that their life has purpose and meaning. 
See, people don't understand that when we were created, we were created by a God, a, a loving God who wants relationship with intentional purpose for our lives. But I'm telling you, friends, this idea of God with us, it began before you were even born. Let's leap ahead right now to the time of our birth. This is what life means to most people. The day of my birthday on forwards in my life, however far it is. But God is with us every day. Now, I want you to listen to the words of Jesus. And this is hard for my mind to get around because God is invisible. The Bible says no one has seen Him. You, you've never been able to touch God. You have some spiritual sense. You know, the Bible says that we are a three-part being. Body, soul, our mind, will, and emotions, and spirit. I can't, get my, my, I can't grasp what my spirit is. But when you die, that's what happens. Your spirit has left your body. You're a spirit being, you have a mind, will, and emotions, and you live in this body for a temporary time. And the reason it dies is because sin has bequeathed itself to us, and it's the wages of sin. But Jesus said, as he relates to us spirit to spirit, Jesus said, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. In Hebrews, he said, I will never leave you and never forsake you. So, which simply reminds us this morning that no matter what I face in this life, God is with me. When I wake up in the morning, God is with me. When I go to work, God is with me. When I'm having fun, when I'm opening presents, when I do something wrong that I shouldn't have done, God is with me. When I lay my head on my pillow at night, God is with me. When I'm sleeping, God is with me. The most comforting thing you can know, whatever you face in life, Jesus Christ said, I will never leave you. Amen. And if you ever feel alone, how many know feelings are deceptive and can lie? It's a good time to respond to your feelings with your words and say, Lord Jesus, I thank you that you are here. Even though I can't see you, it takes just a little bit of faith. Now, let me elaborate on this a, a little bit when I say God is with us. Let me share some personal story about a couple things. First of all, God is with us to help us face trouble. God is with us. Psalm 46.1 says, God is our refuge and strength. Uh, think about a refuge. Think about uh, the fort when the Indians were chasing the cowboys. Or, or think about the, 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 the secure place where the battalion would run to in the middle of a war when they would go to headquarters. God is a refuge and strength. Notice what it says. A very, say it with me, a very present help in trouble. Well, let me tell you, the Miller household, my wife and I, there's, we've had some trouble come to our life in the last few weeks. Several weeks ago, my wife was diagnosed with breast cancer. Now, if you want to get your attention, you let a doctor tell you to come in. How many know when the doctor says come in early after you've had a test, that's not a good sign? But you let a doctor tell you that, and you sit in his office, and he asks you which way you want to go for treatment, and you can't even, you, you don't feel bad. There's nothing that feels like it's wrong with you, but he says some tests reveal something's wrong with you, and you know how you would feel in that situation. But let me tell you what, we walk out in the parking lot, I put my arms around her, and it was like three people in that little bear hug. Now, I'm telling you this from experience a couple of weeks ago. Are you concerned? Absolutely. Is there fear? A little bit. But is God in the middle? And this is the weirdest thing. God has been in the middle of this, and there's been such grace on this little journey. He is an ever-present help in time of trouble. And let me tell you what else Jesus promised. They'll put this scripture up. He promised to give you peace in the storms. See, remember what Jesus said? They'll put it on the screen. Jesus said these words. Jesus said in John 14, 27, I'm leaving you a gift. 
peace of mind and heart. So don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of the calamity in the world. Right now, one of the hottest items for Christmas are Kevlar backpacks for children. Websites that advertise them. Can you imagine buying your child a backpack? I've got one, Mommy. Yeah, but this one will stop a bullet. So if you're in school and somebody comes in to shoot a gun at you, put this backpack in front of you. Can you imagine giving your child a gift like that? There's plenty of things to be afraid of. The economic cliff. Well, now we're at the bottom of the mind calendar, so you can scratch that off your list. But I'm telling you, a doctor's report, there's plenty to be afraid of. But I can tell you this from not only knowledge, but from experience in life. In the middle of your storm, you can have peace. Whatever is going on around you, the gift of peace is available to you. We go in a second doctor and we're there about an hour and a half in a waiting room that is filled to capacity and sick people and it just... And then he tells you this horrible diagnosis and a horrible prognosis and what's going to happen and you just feel... And you're in the car and said, I thought we knew what to do, but I don't know what we're supposed to do right now. And this little thought comes to my mind, call so-and-so. It's a doctor friend of ours, and Linnell called her friend, and, and, and she said, she made a suggestion to her. And as soon as she made the suggestion, guess what happened? Fear left the car, and peace came into the car. Amen. I'm telling you. See, peace is not the absence of problems. Peace is the presence of God in the midst of your troubles. And when the peace came in the car, we didn't have tomorrow figured out, but we said, whew, I feel better now. Let's go get lunch. I'm telling you, it's a, it's a, I've never been through anything like this, but we're finding God. Now, do you wake up in the middle of the night and look to hold a hand in bed? Absolutely. A couple mornings ago, uh, we, went, we went to Baylor on Tuesday. She took a test, PET scan, to see if it had spread in her body. It was, took the test in the morning, maybe this evening, maybe tomorrow. Well, before we left, we went back. Is, is, is it maybe here? No, not yet. Call back before 5. 4.30, Linnell says, can I call now? Honey, wait just a little longer. Wake up in the morning, she says, you're not going to work now yet, are you? No, I'm not. Sitting in the little living room area, waiting for, she said, I'm going to call now. Phone goes through, she gets on the phone, you feel a hand reaching over. You understand what I'm talking about? Well, listen, I'm happy to tell you that it had not spread throughout her body. That's good news. But I'm telling you, God directs your steps. He makes your pathway plain and straight. And you walk day by day, come on, and He is with us. Can I tell you the great promise of the Christmas story? God is with us. If I was writing the script of our lives, I would just cut that diagnosis and page out and it would be gone. But sometimes you walk through the valleys. But how many know God is always with us? Give him a big hand today. He'll guide you every step of the way. He will guide you. Let me give you the third thing. As I've said, God is with us. Before your birth, he's with you. As you walk through life, he wants to be with you. And mind you, just because God, the potential is there for God to be with you, does not mean he'll be with everybody. You have to ask him. It's more than going to church, come on, and having a black book called the Bible. It's a relationship with God. And you don't just look for God. Listen, when trouble came, we didn't just have to dial 911. Where is God? Where is God? Where is God? Where is God? 
we just stopped and drew near. I was reading in my Bible reading the day before we went and had the test. The day before, in an obscure passage in Samuel, and news is being brought back to David about what's went with Absalom, and the first one said, all is well. And the second one came back and said, good news. And I felt like God was speaking to me. And then somebody sends me a Facebook and they said, you know something the Lord told me to tell you? Tell you all is well. Well, now, does that just sound just a little bit like something that's beyond just coincidence? Come on. Listen, I'm telling you, with God, no matter what you face, all is well because God is with us. And that's the message of Christmas. God is with us. Here's the third thing. God will be with us when we face death. We're talking about the seasons of life before our birth while we walk through this journey. But one day you're going to die. No, no, let me take that back. Everybody's going to die but you. That's not a joke. But that's the way we think. How many know it's old people that die? And you know how old an old person is? Somebody older than you. I don't care if you're 16, 60, or 80. Old people are somebody older than you. And all the choir said... Well, that's who's going to die. But I got news for you, friend. The Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die and then face the judgment. Listen to what the Psalm 23, the most popular psalm in the entire world in the Bible, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? God is with us. When you go through that valley... See, we live like there'll be a million tomorrows. But you wait till you have surgery one day. And you're holding hands with your family. I had knee surgery this year. You're holding hands with your wifey all day, but finally the guy says, okay, she, ha she has to stay, but you can go. Or maybe you've been near an accident. You're riding down the interstate, and all of a sudden you look in front of you, and there's cars, uh, taillights flashing, and you see cars... And just like that, you think, this could be me. This could be my time. One day you'll walk through this, but I'm telling you, the Bible says, God will be with you. See, it's the last enemy human beings will face, according to the Scripture, is an enemy called death. But even in this enemy, God is with us. Because how many know death is not the final word? How many know death is not the ending? See, you, had, you didn't have an eternity past, but you have a beginning. And you will go into eternity, friend. You'll either go with God forever in a real place called heaven, or you'll end up in a real place called hell where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. You say, I don't believe that. It doesn't matter what we believe. Come on. My belief is not what makes it true. I'm preaching better than your amening. The fourth season of life where God will be with you, and this is a biggie, judgment day. Matthew 25, verse 31. Here's the picture. It's a scene in heaven. All of humanity is gathered before God. Billions multiplied billions of people who have lived. All the great presidents of old will be there. The Pharaohs, the Caesars. President Clinton will be there. President Bush, President Obama, Congress, everyone. Uh, your high school sweetheart will be there. Uh, you, you, the quarterback on your football team will be there. Your boss will be there. Everyone will be in this crowd. Those that were known in this world and those that lived an obscure life in a jungle somewhere, everyone will stand before God on that great day. Here's what the Scripture says. But the Son of Man, Jesus, will sit upon His glorious throne and all the nations will be gathered in His presence and He will separate the people. 
Now, there's a picture that starts out where all humanity is grouped together. An ocean of people that is so large you cannot see the end. And somehow we're going to end up in two groups. I don't know if an angel is going to walk through and say, uh, Christian, and put a cross on your head, and put a cross on your head, and put a cross on your head. I don't know. I don't know if names are going to be called. How many know there'll be a whole lot of people when the name is called? And that's me, that's me, that's me. I don't know how it's going to be. But somehow God is going to separate. And at some point in time, people are going to know they're in the wrong group. Or they're in the right group. But listen to what the scripture says. This is called judgment day. Every man, every woman will be here. Then the king, Jesus, will say to those on his right hand, Come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. What does that mean? From the moment of creation, beforehand, God has had a plan to call out a people who are not a bunch of robots that follow God because they don't know any better, but have experienced God's goodness and have experienced the sinful and the evil of the world and have said, no, thank you. Come on to what Satan's offering. I choose you. Made in the image of God, but yet beyond the innocence of Adam and Eve, having known both worlds, but having chosen Christ. And God said, listen, I have given you the gift of free will. And that's why you had to go through this thing called time. And you had to see the wages of sin and death. You had to see what selfish choices will do. But now we choose Him. Come on, because we love Him. Because we want to be with Him. And it is called Judgment Day. And can I tell you, on Judgment Day, that's a pretty important day to have somebody defending you. I want you to imagine the courtroom in heaven. In, hey, the courtroom in heaven. One day the Bible says all men will stand before Him. It's called Judgment Day. And there will be, your life will be judged. The Bible says everything we've ever done has been written in a book. Jesus said every idle thought that we think will give an account of on the day of judgment. So everything about us. Well, listen, I don't know about you. If it only takes one sin to keep you out of heaven, none of us are going to make it. But on that day, when you are in the judgment seat and you belong to Jesus, Jesus is your, come on, he's your attorney. How many know the guy... In court, the defendant rarely says a word. The attorney, though, speaks on their behalf. And when the accusation comes for all the things he does wrong, the attorney Jesus will say, covered by the blood, covered by the blood, covered by the blood, forgiven, washed away in a sea of God's forgetfulness. Are there any more charges against him? No, it's all covered in the blood. Though our sins be as scarlet, God makes them as white as snow. Now, I want to tell you, friend, and then he pulls out a book and said, Book of Life, Jeff McFarland, page 19,993, first column, second line. Jeff McFarland, come on and inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. God with us. That's the good news of Christmas. Let me give you one more. Not only will He be with you on Judgment Day, but in Revelation 21, time is now over. Revelation 21, there is a relationship with God like the Garden of Eden that's been restored, but now in its maturity. John the Revelator said this, I heard a loud voice from the throne, and the voice said, now God's presence is with people, and He will live with them. The invisible God that you have to this point not yet seen will one day see you face to face. They'll be His people, and God Himself will be with them. He'll be their God. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death, no more sadness, no more crying, no more pain. 
because the, all the old things are passed away. And can I tell you, friend, it keeps going and going farther than any ever-ready battery bunny could ever go. Jesus' eternity will go on in perpetuity. Come on, He is worthy of our praise. You say, well, what's heaven going to be like, preacher? I don't know, but 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those that love Him. What does that mean? It means you can't imagine how good heaven's going to be. It means you've never seen anything that compares to it. I don't care how majestic a sunset you've seen. I don't care if you beheld Glacier National Park and you stopped your car to behold the glory and the beauty. I don't care if you were on a spaceship and you looked down at earth. I don't care if you looked under a microscope. If you smelled the glory of a beautiful rose. I don't know what it may be to you, friend. The majesty of the trees as they change their color. What, what the earth feels like after a thunderstorm. I don't know what it's like. But the Bible says, you don't have an inkling, come on, of what God has prepared for those that love Him. And the biggest thing, friend, is that you're going to be with your Heavenly Father, come on, forever and ever and ever. Give Him praise this morning. Let me wrap this up and, and then we'll pray and go home. Luke chapter 2. This good news is for everyone. Matthew's account, a shorter account. Luke's was longer. The angels now are talking to shepherds and listen to what they say. In the same region, there were shepherds in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the angel said, Fear not. And I want you to say this with me. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Good news, great joy for everyone. Put my friend Damon on the wall, on the screen again. He's pretty proud of himself there. Isn't it amazing? You can be standing in front of good news and not even know it. Standing in front of the one who offers life and not even be aware of it. I wish he'd been in church this morning. I, I, I wish he could have listened to that piano video. Wasn't that cool? Play the keys forward, nothing. Backwards, nothing. But put in the pauses. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. I, I wish I could talk to him and we'd both drop our walls a minute and I could tell him about a prediction that was made 700 years before an event happened and it predicted something that was outside the bounds of human possibility but it was a miracle and God inhabited human flesh because he cared so much about people and the brokenness of the world we'd created God cared so much God weeps tears every time there's a funeral God weeps and cries whether it's children in Connecticut or an elderly person in DeKalb, Texas, God weeps because He offers a way out. God is with us. I wish I could remind Him what the angel said. There's good news that's available even to the atheist because how many know, listen, we're all, in the most basic sense, sinners, guilty of things that we've done against God. And God in His goodness and kindness simply opened our eyes. I wish I could tell him today. Maybe you'll remember him and say, God bless Damon. Would you just say that right now? God bless Damon. God bless him. 
God, reveal yourself to him just like you revealed yourself to us. Because Christianity is not something you figure out. You simply say yes when God reveals himself to you. And that's the good news of Christmas, friends. God is with us in the person of Jesus Christ. With us before we were born. With us as we walk through this life. With us when one day we face the valley of the shadow of death. With us on judgment day. And with us for all eternity. Come on, give him a good hand. Come down this morning. Praise the Lord. Why don't you stand to your feet and we're going we're gonna to sing this song, Oh, Come Let Us Adore Him. And I just encourage you to close your eyes just a moment and as best as you're able, sing this to Him. Sing it, you alone are worthy. You alone are worthy. You alone. They're going to just keep singing that through. But we want to make a place to pray for you before we go home. You know, it's been a good day this morning. I am delighted that you're here. I know Christmas is filled with travel and busyness. It just thrilled me to see you here. And I just want to tell you that I love you. And it's been an honor in 2012 to be your pastor and to hopefully we can have a lot more years together. But you know, in our service today, we laughed a little bit with the kids and, and Jesus' puppy dog. We found out he didn't have one. You know, we had some traditional songs, we sang Christmas songs, we looked at the Bible together. You've seen friends today, but something is missing if you don't take a chance to pray. And I just want to make that available to you today. As I've talked about God being with us, maybe, maybe you don't feel God, and I hate to use the word feeling, but maybe you don't have in your life what I shared with you that my wife and I have in ours when we walked out of that doctor's office. Knocked down, but not destroyed. Sensing the presence of God in one of our darkest moments. Maybe you don't have that. Can I tell you, I've not had it all my life. It began for me on August 15, 1976, when I committed my life to Christ. See, I went to church as a kid. I had a Bible, never read it. I'd get in trouble and I'd pray. But he was like the God out there than the God right here. And the Gideon told me the same thing I'll share with you now is you can begin a relationship with God simply by offering your life to Him. That if I would come to God, here's what He told me, and first of all, acknowledge my sin before God that I'd done wrong and tell Him that I needed Him. But if I would be willing to surrender my life to Christ, to follow Him, and this next one I didn't understand, He said, if you'd receive Him as your Lord and Savior, simply by faith, invite Christ in your life. He said, God will change you. Can I tell you, friend, He did. And it's been at work in my life since 1976. Maybe that's what you need today. And if you're here today, and what I'm saying is resonating with you, you need to commit your life to Christ. You need His forgiveness. 
you want God to be real in your life and you want to give your life to him, we'd be honored to pray. Will you just slip up your hand real quickly? Say, pray for me, Pastor. I want to give my life to Christ. God bless you, buddy. God bless you. Others today, slip up your hand. God bless you too in the back here. Somebody else, say, pray for me. I want to give my life to Christ. First time you've ever done it, someone else this morning, or I've done this before, but I want to get back right with God in this season. All right, praise the Lord. Listen, we'll pray for anyone this morning. Maybe you're here and maybe you're just in a time of trouble and you need God to be near you. Maybe you're about to go home and maybe home is not like it used to be. Maybe there's some conflict at your house around the Christmas table. I don't know what it is, but how many know, friends, God can help. So if you want to take just a minute, we'd be honored to. She's going to begin to sing again. Our prayer team is going to make their way out of the altar. And if you want prayer for anything, you come now. If you lifted your hand to make a step to Christ, you come. Let us pray for you. Come on up. Let us pray for you. We want to give you something in particular. If you need prayer for anything, you come. Come on and begin to sing. You that lifted your hand, come on up. Let us pray for you. I want to give you some information that will help you in your journey. I love you and God bless you.